Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. And welcome to episode 129 of Geek Town Radio. This week I have with me Bex. Hello, how are you doing today? I'm very well, how are you? Yeah, good, thank you. <laughs> good, good. So uh, what have you been up to recently? Uh, apart from things I've, I've done with you, which we'll get to I'm assuming <laughs> at the end of my list. Um, yes. I watched the Netflix adaptation of Death Note. Yes, I saw you be doing something about that. I'm told it's not very good. It's really, really not very good, which is a massive shame because they have William Defoe playing Ryuk, who is a, a death god demon guy, and he's amazing, but everything else is so bad it's almost funny. And you're not sure at points if they're trying to make a comedy oh in dear. the middle of their supernatural thriller intelligence thing. That's that's not good. That's it was, not good. It at all. was very perplexing to watch because it progressively just kind of fell apart as it went on. Oh dear. Yeah. Yeah. It's a I shame. I hopes for that one. Never mind. Yeah, it's a shame when they pick up properties and and mess them up that badly. Is it's only a, a movie, isn't it? It's not like a, a series. Uh, no, it attempts to fit 25 episodes into like 150, like an hour and a half. It's just <laughs> right. It's, just, it's um, yeah, very very bizarre direction. I I had I had thought that that it would be better being it was Netflix. Isn't there? Is there an animation as well on Netflix? I seem to notice. I could be wrong about that, but uh, I think the anime series is available on on Netflix as well. The original right. one, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm assuming the anime series is a lot better. <laughs> the anime series is a very long cat and mouse game between two highly intelligent individuals who both know who the other are and are playing off each other because neither of them can prove anything. And right. it's it's all this very sophisticated exploration into what is justice and are either of them right or both of them right. They both think they have right on their side and they're both trying to fix the world in their own ways and it's incredibly intelligent nuanced and has remarkably good pacing especially for the first series right and then this movie they just decapitate people and then blow stuff up <laughs> oh dear <laughs> so it's kind of final destination-y but they could only afford to do that for like two scenes oh uh yes that's not very good oh yeah dear. real real shame it, it could it could have been good but sadly wasn't so i've posted those videos up on on the youtubes and the facebooks and um yeah people yeah. People, people are now shouting at me <laughs> <laughs> good so that, that's been quite a fun morning what else has been going on i was quite sad that even though i'm not a massive fan of it dark matter got cancelled yeah yeah i mean so I, know, I know people that work on it and they're all quite sad because it was really starting to get 
quite a lot of a fan base and people kept telling me to go back to it and that it had improved from the ones I'd seen and and, and now it's gone. Yeah, yeah, I was, I mean, having having spoken to uh, Joe, the uh, showrunner, uh, uh, you know, a number of times sort of online and, you know, having actually interviewed him, I, I felt really gutted for them because it was such a passion thing for him, you know, particularly after he had, you know, he was, he was involved with Stargate and, you know, had Atlantis cancelled and then had Stargate Universe cancelled. And uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, they are doing as much as they can to try and like keep it revitalized and, you know, keep it out in the, in the public consciousness. Uh, we'll see whether they manage to do something with it. But uh, yeah, I, I was such a shame because I quite enjoyed that series. It was, it was a fun sci-fi show, you know, I thought. Yeah. Uh, it fit that kind of demographic of stuff you put on and watch when you're eating dinner and stuff like that to chill out. It wasn't yeah. like, like the bits of it I saw, right. I didn't dislike. It just didn't grab me as much as some other, some other things I watch. Um, yeah. But people had been saying that it had steadily been getting better. So that seems like a shame to, to cancel it at the point where it was actually finding its feet. Um, although obviously I'm happy to see that Killjoys did get renewed because that is incredible. And I, I, that was one where I can't wait each week for the next episode to come out. I just sit there and kind of watch the clock. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I can't wait for that one. The, I mean, Killjoy's gotten renewed for two final seasons, so you know that yeah. that is coming to I an think end. That's but a good amount of time for it. I think that will let them wrap yeah. everything up without having to rush anything or without overextending anything. Yeah. So much as I want Killjoys to go on forever, I think two series is probably going to be the right amount of time for that one. Yeah. So that was really cool. Um I also rewatched Hackers recently. Really? Oh, wow. I, I I knew somebody who had never seen Hackers and didn't realise it was a comedy, so I promptly had to buy Hackers <laughs> and then put Hackers on the telly. And um I hadn't realised that Zero Cool is Sherlock. In elementary, <laughs> I just watching. Really? What? What? How did I never notice this? How is this? What? <laughs> how can you not realise that? <laughs> well, I've not seen Hackers in God knows how many years. Yeah, but it's Johnny Lee Miller. How could you not realise? <laughs> anyway, well, yeah. someone I've not seen since the nineties is in something I watch now. That's, that's, you know, I, but yeah, that, it, obviously that when I watched it again the other day, I was just like, hang on a minute. All he does is play super intelligent asses <laughs> yeah yes very true <laughs> that that's his niche he plays people that are slightly hard to get on with and slightly up themselves and really really clever <laughs> yeah yeah angelina jolie as well that was that was the film where they started they started dating and then stopped dating afterwards but uh, <laughs> yes she was awesome in that film other than that i went to see a little thing called electric dreams <laughs> yes yes with me yes we went yes. to see a little thing called electric dreams so yeah we we got to go and uh, not only see the first two episodes but uh, also we had an interview which is coming up later with two of the exact producers michael diner and ronald d moore so we'll get to the interview later on but in terms of of the shows that we saw we saw well they're not necessarily going to be the first two episodes but two of the episodes which was the hood maker and crazy diamond what did you think i really enjoyed them i thought they were incredibly well put together and i've been waiting for this series for ages i'm a really big fan of philip k dick and everyone involved was so talented i was rightfully utterly hyped for this one um thank you so much for taking me to that because it was <laughs> it was welcome. brilliant and meeting the guys as well yeah it's just the series is in such safe hands yeah absolutely i mean hoodmaker i i really enjoyed felt possibly more 
Philip K. Dick, or the the certainly I, the the Philip K. Dick I'm more familiar with. That sort of it had more of that feel to it. I think that is going to be the first episode. I think they said um, that's the one with uh, Richard Madden and uh, Holiday Granger as as the two leads. What's quite interesting is they do seem to take the stories away quite a lot from the the original short stories. So there is an essence of Philip K. Dick to them, but they're they're kind of moving uh, the they're, they're using that as the basis and then spinning their own stories off from it really yeah it's kind of from his mind from his world rather than being literal we'll have to see with the other ones because the ones we saw it, it's hard to tell because they're all so separate some of the other ones might be a lot closer some of them might be further away yeah but i think it's his ideas are so big that using them as a springboard is something that I'm I'm pretty happy with because of the writing talent that's on this. Yeah. I mean, The, the Hood Maker's written by Matthew Graham, who is one of the writers of Life on Mars and Ashes to Ashes and all those things. The other one was Crazy Diamond, written by uh, Tony Grissoni, who's the writer of The Young Pope and uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, another particularly weird TV shows and uh, films, but uh, and that stars Steve Buscemi. So, I mean, those were the two episodes that, that we saw. I I really enjoy both of them. I think they are like all like little mini movies. You know, the the way that they're directed and, and put together, they are completely different. They were insane for intenting this in the first place. I mean, it must have been absolutely crazy for them. But uh, I'm I'm so looking forward to seeing the rest of them. There's 10 in total, there's six this year and then three next, sorry, four next year. We've got also got one that's written by uh, Ronald D. Moore himself uh, and uh, one that's starring Brian Cranston as well coming up, who's also one of the exec producers. Greg Kinnear is in one, Bendit Wong is in one. So yeah, I mean, incredible cast and incredible people behind it it, it looks amazing mm. you could feel how much love they had for the material and the worlds they were building as well when we were talking to them yeah yeah absolutely um i i think definitely the right people to be doing it and uh yeah we'll let them talk a bit more about that when uh, when we get on uh, to the interview a bit later in terms of, of uh, TV for me, there's been a few new things turn up this week. Tin Star, which is the Tim Roth, new Tim Roth show, which is now all been dropped onto uh, Sky Box sets, but it's going out weekly on Sky Atlantic as well. I've only seen the first episode so far, but Sky are very confident in it because they've already renewed it for a second season. Okay, cool. That's Re- quite quick. Yeah. Um, it's interesting reading what people's comments have been about it because some people saying they absolutely loved it. Some people saying it didn't feel quite dark enough and it wasn't quite what they expected and i i, I get that because it, it is more comedic than uh, but it, it it's comedic in that sort of breaking bad kind of way you know it's a very very dark comedy in places and i think a lot of that is to do the fact that it's tim roth kind of as playing an english person who is is the sheriff in a small american town so i think you can't say that it's pure comedy not after you get to the end of the first episode <laughs> considering what <laughs> happens um, uh, but it, it, you know there there are comedic elements in it, but it is very much a a dark kind of comedy drama, I would say. 
and there is definitely a lot of drama in there to, to go with it. But uh, yeah, it's Tim Tim Roth basically as as the uh, sheriff of this little town, which is being taken over by a uh, big oil production plant who have sort of set up shop. And it's it's a sort of ongoing battle between the uh, law enforcement and and this massive oil conglomerate that are trying to take everything over. It, but I I love the first episode. I just haven't managed to get to watching the rest of it. But the rest of it is available on uh, Sky box sets, like like they've tended to do with a lot of their original stuff. Now they're just dumping them all on there, uh, but putting it out weekly as well. So um, I, that's definitely a thumbs up. I'd go and watch that. Also started this week was Relic, which is interesting premise for a BBC drama. It's it's a sort of your standard you know, cop chasing serial killer drama, but backwards. So you start with the serial killer getting captured um, right. or the person they believe is the serial killer getting captured. And then it, it plays out a sort of section forwards and then reverses the clock to sort of five hours before and then plays a section forwards, then pushes the clock back another three hours and plays a little section again. So you're kind of getting the story backwards, hence it being called Relic rather than Killer because it's it's R-E-L-L-I-K. So, ah, I see. Um, That's clever. I yeah. like that. Yeah, it's clever. It's an interesting interesting way of of kind of literally flipping the uh the, this sort of serial killer drama on its head i i thoroughly enjoyed it i i thought it was uh, a really interesting performance and put together really well and kind of keeps you guessing because what what you think is happening from what you're seeing as they go backwards you realize that it's not quite what it seems so it's it's playing with the uh perspective of it quite a lot which is is really quite interesting i've i've been uh i watched that last night and thought that was that was really cool so um that's on bbc i think it's going out it, it'll be on iplayer the first episode i think it's only two episodes and then the next one is going out next monday so uh want to go and watch i think that strike has continued on to uh the second book so strike the silkworm went out this sunday i'm really enjoying this series i it, it's it's just i mean it, there's there's not that much entirely original about it i mean it's essentially it's a it's a private eye chasing down various cases but the characters are very very well written it's just very well put together enjoyable I, you know the great leads in it. it's holiday grager again is is the female leader yeah just just a really solid decent piece of bbc drama that um so i yeah really enjoying strike at the moment and the other thing that came back this week was the expanse which returned for its second season finally on netflix yes, over here yes absolutely finally <laughs> have, have you caught the second season yet i'm still a little bit behind um, okay but I I can't wait to watch it. <laughs> yeah, the um, the second season is all now on Netflix. They drop it on a box set. And I know it's a pain having to wait for it, but I quite like the fact that we get to just binge through it because I'm, I'm one episode from the end of second season now. So I won't go into any details about it, but I will say that I'm actually preferring the second season to the first. I'm finding okay. it 
easier. I, I they've streamlined the story. It's still kind of complex, but you know how you had they were introducing so many elements in the first season of yeah you had you've got those three completely disparate stories which eventually are kind of being pulled together. You have still got stories going on in different areas, but I think they've they've tightened it a little bit so. It's it's easier to keep track of who's what and who's going where and and what's connected to what you know the, all all that sort of stuff. Um, you think I, it's a little bit more accessible now? Yeah, uh, but without losing without losing any of of what made it so great. I th- but I think it's it's just tightened it together a little bit more. It's it's slightly easier to follow exactly what's going on so um i i I think you know much as i really really like the first season i i think the it's just streamlined a little bit for the second season but without losing anything by doing that thoroughly enjoying the second season it it sort of continues where the first season left off if you've not seen the expanse and you like sci-fi particularly fairly dark sci-fi that is something that you really should go and watch uh it's on the entire first season and second season and now on netflix so uh go and watch it but it, it's just fantastic so that's everything i've been doing this week next up we've got some uh, tv and film news <laughs> So the TV and film news this week, we kick off with the air date updates. A few things, lots of cancellations, actually, this time around. First of all, we do have a renewal, which is a show called I'm Dying Up Here, uh, which has been renewed for a second season, which I'm very happy about, because I doubt you've probably caught this, because I'm not entirely sure it's your sort of show, but it's uh, it's about the uh, 70s comic scene in uh, L.A., so uh, I remembered you mentioning you were going to watch this last time. It was good then. Yeah, yeah, really good, funny, well written. The it, it's you know, and I mean, you'd hope it would be funny because it's about comedians, but it's also you know, obviously, it's about their. Uh, it, it's more of a drama about comedians, so it's funny because of the fact that you know the the banter between them is incredibly well written and you also see bits of of their act up on stage so you get to see bits of the stand-up comedy but it's also the sort of drama of the stuff that goes on behind the scenes of the comics kind of trying to make it and and failing and uh you know the the newer comics coming in and them trying to get a foot on the ladder and that sort of stuff but uh, yeah, really, really solid series. That's a, it's a HBO show, but it also it's on Sky Atlantic over here. But uh, that's currently running right now. It'll be on Sky Box X if you want to go and catch up with the ones that have already been out. Cancelled, though. Uh, finally, we've got official word that Class, the Doctor Who spin-off, have been cancelled by the BBC, which we kind of knew was coming, but I'm sort of sad because I, I rather liked the cast yeah, you know, the cast were lovely from that show, and uh, it's you know it's always shame when you when you uh, get Doctor Who properties that you hear aren't coming back. I think. Yeah, I'm surprised they haven't made because after Sarah Jane Adventures, obviously had to to end. I was yeah. surprised they never did a Doctor's Daughter one. I'm surprised they didn't spin the Adventures of River Song off into something. There seems to be a, a lot of things. Always, you know, I think there'd be some some validity in bringing back Torchwood or part of Torchwood as a yeah another spin-off and so it's sad to see another idea is again has again been cancelled because it's such a big world it seems 
very easy and because of all the time traveliness you can just do whatever you want with these spin-offs as well so yeah yeah that's quite a shame well i mean there's there's been um there's been all sorts of suggestions for spin-offs as you say you know there was always talk of of doing one with billy piper as sort of billy piper the the kind of rose earth defense thing as well and uh you know so i'm sure another spin-off will come up at some point i think they made the mistake with this which to come but who it was we were talking to before but the the idea that when you're creating a spin-off it's better to create it using characters that are already established in some way not trying to crowbar in a bunch of new characters to create a spin-off if that makes sense. Yeah, or at least you have to drop those characters in and do like a, a soft sell of them within an existing episode of something in order to yeah. introduce them and, and get some audience uh, engagement and things in them first. Yeah, I mean, you know, we've seen them try it with the backdoor pilot. You know, we've seen them try it with, say, Supernatural, for example, has tried creating spin-offs before. And that show, I think it's tried twice using backdoor pilots, which is basically taking an episode and adding a bunch of characters in specifically for that episode in the attempt to spin it off. And that doesn't really work so much as what they've tried to do this time is taking minor characters that are well established in that universe and are spinning that off into you know and its own show which i think has the chance to be more successful because you the audience have more of a history with that character i think that's what makes a big difference yeah you at least uh, need to have somebody that at least one character that people are invested in i mean because torchwood obviously everyone was invested in in captain jack yeah exactly we massively cared about that character and he'd been in and out of the series so they weren't splintering the series. They were taking someone who naturally could have stopped being in the main series and giving him a life of his own. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think that is the way you do a spin-off. If you're going to do it, you sort of need to take a character that's a smaller character and base it off that, not try and crowbar a whole bunch of new characters in. I, I think you know that was possibly the mistake with class. You needed some, you know, you needed at least one person who was connected solidly to the to the wider Doctor Who universe, not a bunch of new people they tried it with the sort of location because it was Cole Hill School but you could have done with at least one of the teachers having had a regular role in Doctor Who and uh, that being the connection across maybe so I'm I'm sorry to see it go but hopefully we'll see the cast and a few other things because they were lovely guys so uh, so we'll see where that goes The Last Tycoon which is Kelsey Grammer's series on Amazon that's been cancelled Blood Drive was which I mean I posted this it's got an unbelievable reaction on the Facebook page when I posted that this had been cancelled the amount of people that were coming on and saying no no this is terrible so um, cancelled by Sci-Fi US though I, I mean I it's a fun series and it's kind of, you know, yes, it, it looks sort of cheap in places and it's horrendously over the top, but it's based on Grindhouse. That's sort of what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to have yeah, that kind absolutely. of video nasty feel. And I think it does a really good job of that. And so I, you know, and it was different and original and um, as much as I, I basically it didn't have the numbers in the US. That's, that's pretty much what got it cancelled. It lost half its audience and, you know, they, sci-fi just said we can't afford to carry on doing it. The writer of the show did actually post a, a 
me a message saying was sorry to say it's been cancelled but shout out to sci-fi for having the balls to actually commission it in the first place because nobody else would touch us so you know <laughs> I, I think that's a fair point you know but if he's not got the uh money to be able to sustain it i you know there's only so much you can do because that was all shot in south africa as well so uh yeah, yeah. that can't be that cheap to do veep they've also announced is coming to an end and i adore veep but it is getting to the point where I, there's only so far i think you can go with these characters so it's better for them to end it after the next season where which uh selena certainly seems to be implied that was going to try to run for president again so that seems like a a good point to probably bring it to a close uh, but it, it's a very very funny series if you like those sort of political satire stuff better to go out on a high than drag it on for too long and not be good i think uh, more series are realizing that as well that it's better to to not try and keep them going on and on and on, or people start to leave and cast up to leave. I mean, look at what happened to Hawaii Five O. The quality of that just went up and down, and now half the cast are gone. And yeah, it, it's better to to end it solidly and then start a new project. I think. Yeah, I I would say so. I mean, the, those sort of procedural things that continue with a rotating cast it's interesting with the big american procedures they are sort of their version of soaps i mean i know they do have daytime soaps in the u.s but the those sort of things like a way of ivo are kind of almost eastenders like in the fact that you have you have a you know a group of people that you follow but the cast keeps on changing and you know ncis and csi and those sort of things are very much in that kind of vein so, you know, I, I think it is better to bring things to an end rather than get cancelled when your ratings start to dip. So AMC Global and BTTV have picked up the Snatch TV series premiering on October the 31st, which um, it looks interesting enough. It's sort of based on the Guy Ritchie movie, sort of based on real life robbery, uh, apparently. Uh uh, stars Rupert Grint from um, the Harry Potter films. I, I mean, I don't know. It's I, it's not one that I'm going to get to see because it's on AMC Global, and I'm not paying twenty seven pound a month to just get AMC Global on Sky. So it's not one I'm going to manage to watch. Uh, but yeah, if you're if you're one of the few people that has AMC Global or BT TV, then uh, that's going to be available. I think the box set is going on to BT. TV for you if uh, if you want to watch that. Margaret Atwood, the person that wrote uh, *Handmaid's Tale*, has there's another one of her books which has been turned into a TV series. This this is called *Alias Grace*. It's for Netflix, which is coming on Friday the third of November. This is based on a uh, murder in. Uh, the I think it was 1920s, might have been 1900 and something, but uh, it was a murder where the uh, she was the housemaid in in the house, and it was accused of killing basically everybody else, but uh, seems to have no kind of complete memory of it, or is denying that she remembers doing any of it. Okay. Um, that looks like it could be quite good. There's a trailer up on the website if you want to go and have a look at that. Might help fill the gap while people are waiting for The Handmaid's Tale to come back. Got Zach Levy in it as well from Chuck. He's, he's one of the uh, one of the cast in that. And um, Red Dwarf season twelve is coming on the uh, Thursday, the twelfth of October. That returns, and also sees the return of Holly for at least one episode we know of. So, 
Yeah, I actually was was interviewed recently about Red Dwarf and things yes, I like I about that. Red Dwarf. And the guy who runs the Red Dwarf TV YouTube channel also put me in touch with the toaster. <laughs> so awesome. I might get to interview the original talky toaster, which is <laughs> awesome and surreal. <laughs> that's awesome. Yes, <laughs> uh, that's fabulous. Um, <laughs> I'm quite jealous. <laughs> He's um, a very funny man. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, you know, if you get cast as a toaster on a TV show, you've got to have something about you. That's what I say. But he uh, says he's the world's premier actor for talking appliances. <laughs> Brilliant. Yes, I'm. I'm so looking forward to that coming back because I really enjoyed the uh, last season. So I, I think this should be brilliant. I think we've all interviewed the cast at some point for, for one thing or another. So uh, yeah, they're great guys. So I'm really looking forward to that coming back. On to the larger news stories. Netflix has picked up a uh, show called Ratchet, which is uh, a prequel from Ryan Murphy of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, apparently, which is kind of an interesting idea. It's uh, Ryan Murphy reteaming with his American horror slash crime story, sort of muse, Sarah Paulson who's taking the lead as Nurse Ratched. Nurse Ratched was the uh, the nurse of the insane asylum in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, basically. So the, the idea is that it's going to begin in 1947 and follow her as she sort of goes through the mental health care system and turns from a sort of average everyday nurse into the tyrannical, cold-hearted monster that you see in charge of Salem State Hospital. Murphy's set to exec produce as well... Uh, uh, and uh, he's he's brought on Evan Romansky, who is a recent film graduate who apparently wrote this script on spec and through Murphy's agent it got to uh, it got to him. I mean that that's a fairly impressive gig to get straight out of the gate. I would have said. I think yeah. that's going to be a bit of a trial by by fire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah Murphy has a habit of doing this he's you know when he's writing new things he does go and look for new talent to uh to, to sort of pair with to to write stuff so um so yeah kind of interesting it's one of those things that you, you know you kind of think well I, I didn't really need a prequel of this but you know it might be quite fun so I think fun's an interesting word to use <laughs> yeah maybe enough. not fun <laughs> it might be quite interesting yes it might be quite interesting yeah Sarah Paulson of course was the person that played uh Mus Clark in uh, People vs. OJ for him. Um, she's also appearing in American Horror Story Cult as well at the moment, which is airing right now on uh, Friday nights on Fox UK. Uh, so, But apparently Netflix have ordered 18 episodes straight to series of uh, Ratchet, and that's going to come out over two seasons. So um, they're pretty confident that it's going to work. I mean, you know, given the person behind it, you've kind of got to assume that he knows what he's doing so you know and it, it's creepy and horror and it's ryan murphy so I, I think there's a fairly good chance it's going to work next up we have uh cbs are developing an la confidential tv series apparently so it's why not <laughs> well yeah it, to be fair with, with all the other things that are, that are going on at the moment why not yeah i mean to be fair it's it's one of those licenses that you kind of think if anything lends itself to being a tv series though 
LA Confidential, probably, you know, that sort of 1950s Los Angeles cop show. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I mean, it's, it's based on the James Elroy novel of LA Confidential. Obviously, there was a film made about it as well, which starred Kevin Spacey and Russell Crowe and Guy Pearce and Kim Basinger. Um, that was in 1997 and got like nine Oscar nominations. So that's what people think of. It's not really a spin-off of the film. It's them basing it on the book. So it's them basing it off the same property. Uh, it's been written by Jordan Harper, who's one of the writers of Gotham and The Mentalist. It tells the story of three homicide detectives, a female reporter and a Hollywood actress, as they're embroiled in a case to track a sadistic serial killer through the murky underbelly of 1950s Los Angeles. I, the yeah, right writer. Yeah, I mean, you know, good writer to it, I think. It certainly... I has possibilities of working this isn't the first time they've actually attempted to do this they shot a pilot in 2003 with uh, Kiefer Sutherland as the lead and uh, that actually get paid, failed to get picked up to series but I don't know I, I think I, I feel this could work I don't know whether CBS is the right place for it, but uh, it, it certainly... I think it entirely depends on what the, the overall approach is with this one. If they try and make it too glossy and too glam and Hollywood, I think it will just come across as quite cheesy. Whereas if they make it a bit more dark and noir then it could be something that was a bit more intelligent, a bit more engaging. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it sort of feels like something that would probably work better on a HBO or something like that, whereas CBS are the people that make a Y5O. So, <laughs> you know, I it, whether they, if they don't dumb it down and turn it into too much of a procedural and they stick with that kind of neo-noir feel to it, it could be quite good, but we'll have to wait and see really with that also news popped up yesterday that um they are developing the comic book the boys into a uh, series uh, amazon uh the boys is a comic book from the creator of preacher garth ennis and it's seth rogan and um evan goldberg who are, are actually looking at doing it as well but it's being written by eric kripke who is the writer of supernatural and timeless so it's got a really interesting team behind it. A fairly strong team, I would have said. The Boys is set in a world where costume heroes saw through the sky and masked vigilantes prowl the night, but sometimes you need somebody to keep the superheroes in line when they become reckless. So that's where the boys come in. Uh, it's a, basically a, a team that are backed by the CIA and uh, they're designed to control and, if necessary, take out the superpower beings who overstep the mark. You're familiar with the comic book of this, aren't you? Yeah, I've, I've read a fair amount of it. It's a pretty good, intelligent, dark. I mean, it's, it's one of those ones I never would have expected to have got picked up for a series, but we did have things like Powers made into a series, which also looked at a more realistic take on superheroes were real and had sponsorships and were like celebrities and things. Uh, the Boys is a little bit darker than, than how that came out. So yeah, I think that's going to be a really intriguing one to watch as something that is definitely a, a genre piece, but it's a bit more grounded. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I was quite surprised when I heard that was getting picked up but yeah i'm i'm really excited for that yeah and i think it's it's got the right people behind it and it's it's in the right place as well because it's on amazon who aren't afraid to you know go into the sort of darker hboe type territories you know because yeah. have you the, seen any episodes of the tick that they did on amazon i've seen the first episode i haven't managed to watch any more of it yet but i really enjoyed yeah, it because the first one was really funny but also really dark and really enjoyable and i was surprised how damn good that first episode was i need to watch some more of it but 
Yeah. I was really impressed by that. So if that's anything to go by, they're really not afraid to have that dark, realistic, twisted kind of thing going on. No, I don't think they are. And, uh, you know, you look at Preacher as well, which, I mean, Preacher's not actually... This is the other interesting thing, because Preacher is an AMC show in the US, but airs on Amazon over here. And what I found kind of interesting was uh, Rogan and uh, Goldberg chose to go with Amazon for this series which is, a, you know, another of Gareth Ennis's work, but they chose to take it to Amazon directly rather than go to AMC. Uh, and these are the second comic book people to choose Amazon over AMC because Robert Kirkman signed an overall deal with Amazon just before the whole of the Walking Dead production staff sued AMC for a very large amount of money. So AMC seem to be losing some of their talent, which is uh, a problem, I would say. <laughs> for them i mean they're walking dead still safe there right now but you know if they can't attract new people due to the way that they're behaving that's that's not going to be good for them particularly when you know people like amazon are offering seem, seemingly offering decent deals as well so yeah yeah we'll see how that goes yes yeah we'll see uh boy the boys only has a script commitment at the moment it's so they're not like commissioned to a pilot or anything they are saying they're eyeing it with the chance of it not going through the pilot program you know they have the voting system on Amazon and it has the possibility that it may get picked up straight to series if they like what they see so uh, so that that looks like it could be quite good but uh, yeah we'll keep an eye on that and let you know if we hear any more and finally because we can't go through a week without having some casting news from Titans we have some Titans casting news Alan Richardson and uh, Minka Kelly have been cast as Hawk and Dove on uh, the new Titan series. Uh, Alan Richardson, recently seen in the, uh, as we mentioned earlier, just cancelled Blood Drive as the male lead in that. Uh, He's also popped up in episodes of Black Mirror and playing Raphael in the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movies. But of course, he's not the first time he's gone near DC because he also played Aquaman in Smallville. That was the other thing he's very well known for. Minka Kelly appeared in uh, Jane the Virgin, The Path, uh, probably best known as playing Lila in Friday Night Lights, though. The two characters they're playing, Hawk and Dove, are a crime-fighting vigilante duo. They're also a romantic couple. They are granted their their gifts by the Lord Lords of Order and Lords of Chaos to otherworldly sects who eventually went to war with each other. Hawk's kind of aggressive and a sort of bruiser, where Dove's kind of more strategic and defensive. These are an interesting two characters to add into Titans. They're not, I don't think, in any of the current Titans lineup, but uh, I know they have been in the past. So yeah, I mean these they they're going to be added to Starfire, who they've already announced, and Raven and. Uh, Brendan Thwaites, who is playing Dick Grayson, we assume is Nightwing, but we, you know, it may be as Robin and then Nightwing. We don't know. I'm looking forward to this series because it's from Greg Bellanti as well. So uh, it looks like it could be quite good. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it as well. I really liked the animated series they did that got cancelled too soon. It was very well written and very well put together and quite dark. And mm. I think it's a it's a good candidate for, for turning into a series. And yeah, as a team show, it could be quite good. I, as again, as we said every week. We 
we don't know any more about where this is going to end up because it's coming to uh, DC's new digital streaming service and it's not entirely clear where that service is going to be, whether it's going to be worldwide or just US only. So we don't know whether it's going to be something else that we have to buy or whether it's going to be that they're only going to be US and then they'll sell the shows on abroad. So we'll see. But um, I'd be surprised if nobody picked it up. It's one of those licenses that's really really interesting because the characters are so diverse and you can go off and look at individual characters or team elements and everyone can develop in in different directions so where you have some things with stuff like the flash although i love the flash as a series they're in danger all the time of retreading the same ground yeah whereas something like titans you can have such a a diverse range of stories yeah. that, that if that can get going, if that can, you know, put down some roots and get a fan base, it could go on for a really long time without outstaying its welcome. Yeah. And I mean, you know, Titans has been through so many iterations of, of the cast as well. So it's, you know, apart from probably Dick Grayson, you can pretty much rotate all the other people in and out, you know, as you go through series, kind of like they've done a bit with Legends, you know, you can you can move people in and out as necessary if people need to go off and do other projects or whatever. There's enough people that have been in Titans or Teen Titans at some point that you can fold them in. So, you know... Yeah. And it, it feels like a very natural thing to do because, you know, in life, that's how these teams would work. Characters would need to go off and do other things or have commitments and yeah. The teams are always changing in the comic book, so it wouldn't feel forced. It would just feel like it was very diverse. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think that's going to be really good. We just don't know where it's going to end up, whether this digital streaming service is going to be worldwide, and in which case you'll have to buy it to watch over here, or whether it's going to be US only, in which case we'll probably get it bought by, I imagine, Sky One, it being a Blandy series. But uh, we'll have to wait and see. So that's all the news for this week. Next up, we have the interview. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So the interview this week is with uh, Michael Diner and Ronald Dean Moore, who are the writers and exec producers of uh, Philip K. Dick's Electric Dreams. Michael Diner is an Emmy-winning writer, director, producer, whose work includes The Wonder Years, Chicago Hope, Justified, and Sneaky Pete as well. Geek legend Ronald Dean Moore has written on various Star Trek series. He was responsible for the Battlestar Galactica reboot and also bringing Outlander to screen. So the pair have now teamed up on this brilliant anthology series we were talking about earlier which is called philip k dick's electric dreams which is uh, coming on channel four we got to talk to them about tackling such a massive project interpreting dick's work and where the show may go from here so here's the interview with michael and ron we will see you afterwards with some highlights for next week on tv Lovely to meet both of you. Nice and, uh, yes, yeah, sure. uh, I watched the uh, two episodes that came out last night, which were fabulous. Good. Really, really enjoyed it. Thank We've you. been hugely looking forward to, to the uh, show coming out. We've been kind of posting about it for about sort of ever since it was announced, basically. Um, we want to start off by just sort of explaining 
what on earth possessed you to, to, to tackle like every Philip K. Dick thing you could get your hands on for a series? We're opportunists. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, five or six years ago, I was approached by Anonymous Content, which is a, a production company, management company yeah. in Los Angeles. And they they were associated with the Dick Estate, with Electric Shepherd. And they said, well, you know, we like your work and, and um, you know, are you familiar with Philip K. Dick? And I said, well, the movies and, uh, the, and some of the source material. And they said, well, do you know that he wrote 120 plus stories? And I said, no. And they said, well, why don't you start reading and we'll pick one. Well, let's do one together. And mm. So I started reading them and a couple of weeks later, I called up and said, um, how about all of them? And there was like silence, you know, for on the phone. And, um, but it started with this crazy notion of, look, I was a kid. I love the Twilight Zone. Yeah. My parents said, you can't watch it, but I would sneak around and watch it. Yeah. As Ron Lab spoken, you know, the, the, the cool thing is when we were growing up is Labor Day, they used to have the Labor Day telephone. Right, yeah, yeah. Uh, a marathon of, uh, of you know, all you know, ten Twilight Zones in a row, and I love the show because it took me places that I had never been before. Yeah, they always add a twist at the end. Sometimes they're funny, sometimes sad, sometimes dark, sometimes weird. They made you think, and so it started with this notion: of what if we do an anthology show? At the time, five years ago in the states, you know, anthology was still a dirty little word. Yeah, but I think with you know with streaming services and cable that people are more open to doing things out of the box. So I started out with that notion, and and Ron and I met a couple times, and I felt that um, that I need the um, a, a resident, uh, the the president of geeks uh, to be involved. <laughs> so I called him up and said, hey. Um, do you like Philip K. Dick? Oh, yeah, sure. Everybody likes Philip K. Dick. Well, how about if we do this anthology where it's like 10 points of view and no writer's room and do it not like regular television and, and really think out of the box? And he said, I'm in. And uh, did the same thing with Brian Cranston, who was moving into an office in the same building I was in on the lot. And uh, he said, I'm in. So that's how it began with, it, with this crazy notion of doing this show. Yeah. And um, as we're almost, as we're getting close to finishing them all, it was really difficult. Mm. From a production point of view, it took a, a long time to get it off the ground. Um, took a couple of years to make the rights deal. And we kind of, we wondered way back when, we, we thought that people would come and play with us in the yeah. sandbox. Writers and directors and actors and composers and cinematographers. And, you know, be, there's a brand to begin with. It's Philip K. Dick. But also because of the strength, the stories are pretty emotional and they're pretty cool. And it's also a matter of execution. The scripts you know, turned out okay. And the people come, and, and we were, you know, the writers came, you know, then the directors came, then the actors came. And the personnel came, you create a personnel. And, and it, it worked. Yeah. You know? So that's how it came to pass so i mean you've got uh, as you say there's a ridiculous amount of stories that you can pick from when it came to to getting the writers involved did you just hand them a list and say pick one or, or was did, was it sort of both controlled like that but, but okay. some, some brought their own but ron can talk about how he picked his yeah uh, yeah i mean i looked at several of them and um i think the one that i picked the original was called exhibit piece i was i had become interested in virtual reality yeah and sort of that is a storytelling medium and i was fascinated with it and still am and then that particular story dealt with you know a character in the future who was curating a museum exhibit in the past and kept kind of losing himself in this other world and this other time and it just sparked something in me and i thought oh you know this is interesting and i can play with vr as a as a construct in this and 
and explore those themes. So I, I didn't really adapt anything from the story except that kind of concept. So I think all the writers just sort of looked at something that inspired them, you know, and sometimes, you know, we gave them choices. Some other times they knew the material and asked for things. And, you know, it was, it was really kind of every writer, I think, took a, a different path to the story that they ultimately did. You know, some we kind of curated stories, so we would um – there was someone at Electric Shepherd who actually wrote one of, one of the episodes. Right. And he kind of, if, if a writer wasn't sure what they wanted to do or, or wasn't that familiar with the stories, we would send them a packet, you know, and they would right. read stuff. But, but some of the writers, I mean, Tony Grassoni is like a huge Philip K. Dick aficionado. So he, he came prepared. This is what I want to do. And um, so each one was a, was a little bit different. I think Jack Thorne also, you know, he, he really wanted to do The Commuter. He was familiar with that story, and and um, but the, the writers really found something personal within the story themselves. Yeah, that they're odd, the stories are oddly emotional. Mm. You know, for you know, we all have this image of, of Dick's world of being this dystopian, fucked up universe. You know, but there's something in the stories themselves that are really emotional. That somehow, as we've said, that they kind of have the great themes of you know what does it mean to be a human being? How can you survive as an individual? faced with that and what's the nature of reality. So within those themes, people found stuff that was really personal to them. Mm. And that was the cool thing about it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Philip K. Dick stories often use a very small personal example to explore a really large concept. And I wondered how difficult it was to manage the balance when you were adapting these to the screen. That's an interesting question. Uh, I don't know if I even thought about it really in those terms. Um, I think I think when I wrote my story, I just kind of did it in, instinctively and just it was – on the first draft and then subsequent drafts, I just sort of would write a scene and felt like what the next scene should be to me. And I just kept doing that process over and over. It was kind of an instinctual writing, which was kind of fun as opposed to, you know, so much of TV is very, very structural. You're sitting in writer's rooms and you're really logically plotting it out and, and breaking it down. So this was much more of kind of feeling my way through the story multiple times. So I don't think, I don't know that I ever really stepped back and thought about it in the terms that you're putting it. Um, Cause I didn't, even though I was interested in the theme of uh, virtual reality and what is the nature of reality and fantasy, it was less in the forefront of my head when I was writing it, then the journey of this character and where does this character go? Okay, now I'm going to switch up. Now start this character. Where does this one go? Now get back. And it was, yeah, I was just, they were more like building blocks on top of building blocks. And I, I don't know that I ever really took a bird's eye view and thought about, you know, the bigger theme and how am I, you know, exploring it through the, through the specific. I'm, I mean, the danger of this is like obsessing about the universe that you're creating and it's all about the affectation mm -hmm. as opposed to just dropping the characters in the middle. It just is, you know, it's, a, it, you know, I mean, a good example is Hoodmaker, which you saw yeah. last night, which is a, big idea you know it's like after whatever some kind of event there it, we live in an analog universe and um there are the teeps and there are the normals i mean there's big ideas in it but it's really the story about those those two people yeah the teep the teep and the normal and are they going to be together or are they going to be torn apart you know are they going to survive in this universe so you know it's weird about it. his stories have big ideas in them, but they're always about the, there. There's the guy, you know, the, the guy who wonders if his, you know, you know, should he be cheating on his wife? He's having a midlife crisis in mm. Crazy Diamond, or you know, a story that I that I did. You know, uh, what do you do as a kid if you if your father turns into a monster? Right. Um, so there, there's there are these stories. The stories have the individual at the center of it, even though the universe may be very, very large. 
And, and I think that's what the writers really, there's always a personal aspect to each one of these stories. Because otherwise, if you're just dealing with the universe, then it's just, like I said, it's just window dressing, not, not about the emotion. I love the fact that you treat the audience as being on the same level as you guys. There's a lot of things going on with media at the moment where, where things feel very spoon-fed and there's really no exposition in these. You just jump straight into the middle of the story. So is that a conscious decision or is that something that just came from the source material? I think it developed because, <laughs> you know, you, you're in television in general, in movies, there is a, a general pressure from on high to explain things because I think people, you know, executives get terrified at the possibility that the audience will be confused or they won't understand. And a lot of times that comes from this belief that the audience is not as smart as I am. The audience is stupid and we have to like, you know, talk down to them and explain these things. And one of the nice things about this experience with Channel 4 and Amazon was they kind of didn't have that attitude. Mm -hmm. You know, there was you have a conversation about how much to explain, but you can see where we all ended up was didn't really need to explain a lot. You just kind of are dropped into this world and we kind of believe, well, we get it and we think you're going to get it because you're probably smarter than we are. And you watch a lot of TV and we're not reinventing the wheel here. So there's certain like narrative things you're just going to get as an audience member. And I don't have to explain it to you and you can go to the hood maker world and figure it out it's some authoritarian dystopian thing something bad has happened and now there's people who are telepaths let's move on you know it's like (laughs) i don't need a big crawl at the beginning to sort of say that to you you can just kind of pick it up yeah it's very refreshing it's also the nature of his stuff that somehow there's like that moment in these stories where you're dropped into it that it becomes clear somehow yeah i mean i mean look blade runners how old 30 years old or whatever you know yeah. for 27 years i don't know but what i remember about you know i've seen blade runner a number of times but what i remember from the first time i saw it was yeah it was a fantastic world and all this stuff but it's the moment at the end on the rooftop where it becomes really clear Rutger howard just wants to live mm. oh i understand the story so it's not spoon fed to you yeah you're kind of along for the ride and you're kind of leaning and saying, you know, what what's going on exactly? And then all of a sudden you go, oh, I get it. And and I think that's the cool thing about these stories. It's much more like real life. You don't get a sort of a book at the beginning of life that says, yeah. here's the part of <laughs> They are all like little mini movies. Did you ever actually have all the directors in one place? Did they ever talk to each other or the writers? No. They're, they're, I, just sort of, they they're they were all done entirely It's a miracle that the producers have all been in the room <laughs> together. I don't think we've ever remotely had the writers. No, in the- we, we, first of all, the, we started developing these scripts, Yeah. right? And, and we had a few talk. you know, we talked a little bit about it, you know, and, and, and and the writers would pitch out what they were going to do and, you know, write outlines or whatever, you know, treatment. And then the scripts would come in, you know. Mm-hmm. And the same thing with the directors. We'd talk a little. I mean, we were shooting simultaneously. We shot, you know, we're insane. Not only were we doing this anthology, but half of it was shot in the U.S. Yeah. And half shot here. And they started here about five weeks before we started in the U.S. I came here in November, December to start putting the crew together here. Yeah. And then... I never escaped from Chicago. So I, you know, some of our partners came over. Right. But we had some, you know, there were discussions and stuff, but we, the whole idea to begin with was to encourage different points of view. And, um, and we felt that the material itself, that the themes of the material would connect all the pieces. But we really did kind of encourage diversity in, in the point of view. Yeah. That to me is 
It makes me laugh. I giggle at times <laughs> when I see these things because somehow they feel of a bigger piece that there's a spine yeah. that connects them all, but they're all different. Yeah. Uh, you know, you know, one is a social satire. The next is a dark dystopian universe yeah. love story like you saw last night. Yeah. Those yeah. are the two last night. Yeah. Um, you know, some are um, some take place today. Some take place a thousand years in the future on a spaceship, yeah. you know, but at, at the core are these kind of great genre themes and this emotional moment somewhere in the piece. Yeah. If you were going to do more of these, uh, you know, assuming this all, all goes well, which it seems to be from the reaction that we've, we've been getting, would you continue doing more of the Philip K. Dick ones or would you look at uh, um, other sci-fi authors like Isaac Asimov or would you would you stick with Philip K. Dick? I mean, not if there's a shortage of Philip K. Dick stuff to go through. So. We, we would stick, but we might not stick to, to the page. I mean, it might be inspired by it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so... There's certainly elements. Look, he was, you know, one of the influential genre writers. So there's elements to extract from story. We there's one outline we have in right now that that uh, takes ideas from different story, but it's not based on a story, mm. um, and it feels very Philip K. Dick, but it's but it's an original piece. So yeah. it depends. You know, it could be, and we also say that you know a writer could adapt a story, and the next year or two years later. Somebody else might adapt. I mean, because we're not, sometimes we're more faithful than other times, yeah. but you could write a completely different, you know, teleplay. That, I was going to say, if you just upset like half of your screenwriting friends in Hollywood because you've just taken a bunch of Philip Kendrick stuff off the market. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, the, you've got, according to Wikipedia, there are about 85 of, of the short stories. There's more. There's yeah, more. but I'm sure there probably yeah. are more. So, I mean, you know, you're not, you've got at least seven seasons in there if you <laughs> want to keep going. That's quite a few. <laughs> um, so what's been the most challenging bit for you? Well, the production was deeply challenging. I mean, doing it on, it's challenging enough just to do an anthology because, all the sort of things that make a television machine go are suddenly pulled out from under you. You know, standing sets, returning cast, consistent storyline, tone, you know, all, all the things that sort of, you know, that you're trained over and over again to do to maintain a consistency and a vision and a voice of a show and hooking an audience into that series, whether it's episodic or, or serialized, it's still like we're making one show and you've got these sets and you're in a hospital or a police station or a starship and you're going to go there over and over again. And it, it makes production much easier once you get the machine up and going and this is your cast and they're going to be here next week. Now you throw all of that out the window and you say you're going to make 10 movies all right, that's deeply challenging just on its own. Then yeah. you say you're going to do them in two different countries and do that simultaneously. And it's not a writing staff. You're going to have writers from all over the place and directors from all over the place. So it was we logistically, insane. it was yeah. just insane. I, I think, you know, in success, <clears throat> I mean, we learned a lot from this year. I learned a lot. And, you know, one thing, I don't think we bifurcated again and do it in two different places. I mean, right. Um, I wish there was a great creative reason. We, we did it out of necessity. All of a sudden, the yeah. train was leaving the station. And yeah. there was a concern whether... The resources were here to do everything here in the UK. Right. I was yeah. actually looking forward to that because my kids love London. So. <laughs> um, but could we do everything here or, or, you know, do half and half? And I think we would not split it again. I could ask a million questions. <laughs> <laughs> 
right. Uh, we'll do, okay, we'll, we'll we'll finish it there. But yes, thank you for the uh, for, for the opportunity to talk. I'm a huge you, fan man. of both of your works. I adore thank Sneaky you. Pete and well, obviously you. Outlander and oh, Battlestar you. and Star Trek. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that. But yeah. So uh, we've talked about we've talked Sneaky Pete up an unbelievable amount on the. Uh, oh, on that's the show, right. So. It was that was just a little show. All of a sudden, we came into how, we had done this show called Justified. My yeah. Partner. Yes. And, yeah. yeah. And we were asked to come in on that show, and we had a great time. Yeah, it was, like, yeah. It was it's fun. an amazing series. Thank you for that. Yes. Uh, yes, thank you. Thank you, Thank, you. thank you, guys. Thank you. That was the interview with Michael Diner and Ronald Dean Moore. Philip K. Dick's Electric Dreams comes to Channel 4 from the 17th of September. So uh, definitely, definitely one to go and watch out for. It looks brilliant. The episodes we've seen are brilliant. I'm sure Bex will agree. Yeah, I'm really hoping that the first episode is one that I've already seen because I'm actually away on that day. <laughs> I'm going to be on an aeroplane and unable to watch it. <laughs> I think you'll be okay because I think the first episode is going to be The Hoodmaker. I've from what they were yeah. saying so I think you'll be alright um, I don't but- want to spend the whole of my holiday wishing I was back home watching a TV series here because that <laughs> even for a sci-fi fan that's just you know <laughs> pretty sure the first episode's The Hoodmaker so you should be fine so that is the interview we will now go on for some highlights for next week on TV <laughs> So we kick off highlights for next week with Stella, which I think we actually mentioned last week uh, as being airing on the 12th. And for some reason, the date was slightly wrong. It's actually coming on the 13th. So that's on the uh, 13th of September at 9pm on Sky One. League of Their Own also coming back to Sky One for its 12th season. I can't believe this 12th season of that. But uh, that's coming on the 14th of September at 9pm. South Park returns for its 21st season on the 15th of September. At, I feel uh, old now. Yeah, that's just nuts. I dip in and out of South Park. I haven't really watched a full series for a while, but I caught some of them when I was in the US recently. And I'm I'm kind of thinking I need to set this to record and go back to it because I adored it. It was great. Philip K. Jack's Electric James, as we mentioned earlier, that's coming to Channel 4 on the 17th of September. Go and watch that. Brilliant. And W1A, the uh, comedy starring Hugh Bonneville, that is back on BBC2 on the 18th of September at 10pm. So that's everything we have for this week, unless you've got anything else you want to add in, Bex? No, just the obligatory plug that as well as being on geektown.co.uk, I'm also on Trista Bytes, spelt with a Y, because I'm also computery geeky for my YouTube and <laughs> Facebook and so forth. That's it, really. And uh, for us, you can visit the website at geektown.co.uk throughout the week and see all the latest air day info if you want to get in touch with your questions and comments you can email us on podcast at geektown.co.uk leave us a message on the website post find us at geektown on twitter on facebook at facebook.com forward slash geektown on youtube at youtube.com forward slash geektown and on instagram at geektown uk that's everything we shall see you next week bye bye take Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. 
Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. 